0: Hot takes? If you're telling me that you care about Albert holes no. over That's some guy you know. who got busted hey. for steroids that wore rec specs while playing, you're severely mistaken. Gambling gaffes. I've been betting pretty frequently since sports have restarted. One of those sports I have often looked at is golf. Bryson DeChambeau, everybody knows him. I've bet him every week since golf has restarted, except for one. In the one week, I don't bet on him. Like, you know what, Spencer, let's take a bit of a break. He wins the whole freaking tournament. What are the odds of that? Get ready for the sports opinions you just can't avoid. And Boban, let's not forget, he just shut the world down after putting up 37-17 against the Nuggets. It's time to let the cat out of the bag. Here's your host, Spencer Catalano. Yes, sir. Welcome to the program on this cloudy May the 8th in the beautiful South Jersey for another edition of the Cats Out of the Bag. As always, I'm your host, Spencer Canelano. On yesterday's episode, if you have not listened to that yet, talked Tom Wilson, struggles of the NBA title favorites, uh, Nets and Lakers. And a few places I think would work best for Aaron Rodgers, should he be on the move before the beginning of next season. Uh, No real major developments on those topics. So we've got a bit of a clean slate today of what to talk about. Uh, As you've picked up on for the theme of this podcast, there will be some NFL talk today, as that is the moneymaker that is the most watched sport across the country. And there's one team that has caught my eye with some personnel choices, both on and off the field that they've been making, which is why I kind of like them coming up this year. And I I will get into that a bit later. Uh, there was also a couple of debates that sparked controversy. I will touch on both of them. One was which league it will be more difficult to win a championship in in the NFL or the NBA, and I'll set the record straight on that one. Uh, But we're going to start off today with yet another no-hitter recorded last night, where we saw Reds pitcher, Cincinnati Reds pitcher, Wade Miley, become the latest player to etch his name into the history books with the 309th no-hitter in baseball history, with nine innings pitched, eight strikeouts, uh, and one walk in a 3 nothing win over the Cleveland Indians. It's, uh, now, the second time this season where the Indians have been no hit, uh, you could argue that they're missing someone who was a top-ten player in baseball for the past three seasons uh, in their lineup in Francisco Lindor. Uh, but I'm sure he's more focused on whether an animal found in Queens, New York, you know, Queens, New York, is a rat or a raccoon. Spoiler alert, it's probably a rat, I would say. Uh, but this is the fourth no hitter already this season. This young season, just over five weeks in. Maybe the fifth, if you want to consider Madison Bumgarner's seven inning no hitter as legitimate. And, uh, you know, I don't see why you can't. It's not his fault that, that Rob Manford decided that doubleheaders would only be seven innings just to speed up play of the game. Doofus. I obviously don't mean to drop any D bombs on this clean content, but, you know, I think Rob Manford. Knew what he was doing, and and he's, I guess, getting what he wants because owners still like him. But that that no hitter should count, so we should be at five on, on the year. And don't get me wrong, no hitters are special, right? They are. But I don't think it's obvious, or I think it's obvious that any pitcher can kind of have their day and find their way as a part of history. Wade Miley isn't some ace, right? Going to win 200 games in his career. He's got a 4.18 ERA over his entire career. And maybe you like sabermetrics a bit more, so you take FIP into account, which is fielder independent pitching. So if you have terrible pitch, terrible fielders behind you, it'll obviously inflate the ERA. But if you like that with a bit more weight, that's a 4.10. So it's really not that much of a difference. Wade Miley is not the greatest pitcher that we've ever seen. Right. And we know that. I think any baseball fan, really any fan, any any sports fan, you hear Wade Miley and you think, well, I don't really know who that is. Obviously, the, the purists of, of the diamond will know. Right. Wade Miley has, has made his rounds across the league. Let's Let's get that clear. But when you search Wade Miley... I, well, I I made a typo here, so that doesn't count. You search Wade right widely, obviously he comes up. And the top stories will be his no-hitter, right? But he's really nothing to write home about. He's had a sub-4 ERA three times in his career. I'm sorry, five times. And he's been on, let me count this very quickly, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different teams in his 11-year career at this point. Got 89 wins. 89 losses. So, 500 pitcher. Nothing to write home about. I think anybody, any pitcher can have a great day, right? We see it a lot. I think Philip Humber had a perfect game or a no-hitter for the White Sox. I don't think Phil Humber's pitched in the big leagues in the last five or so years. But we've seen it. It can happen. Any, any pitcher can have their day. There obviously be Clayton Kershaw's of the world. Or Max Scherzer's to pitch no hitters, right? But I'm not going to look at this and be like, "Oh, this is fantastic. This is going to be a career-defining moment for Wade Marley. He'll save the he'll save the game ball. I'll I'll tell you that much. He will save it. I'd be shocked if he didn't. But is it really all that special? I'm not, Look, there, let's let's make it clear. There have been five no hitters if we're counting. Bumgarners, the seven eight one. Even if you want to put an asterisk on it. It's called four and a half, we'll say. There have been five no hitters in five weeks. There's been two in three days. John Means just had one against against Seattle. Maybe that's the Marty Mush curse where they bought Mariners tickets, bet on the Mariners, and then consequently got no hit by John Means. And John Means has been good this year. Don't don't get it don't get me wrong. Also had Joe Musgrove, who you're just twisting the dagger of the Pittsburgh Pirates fans. Everything they give away turns to gold. Not they touch. They they stop messing with it, and it turns to gold. Garrett Cole, Austin Meadows. Should I name a few more? I don't think I will. I'll, I'll spare them for now. But it, you, you look back at it the past few years, and I'm not going to include – you know, combined no hitters where you see five, six, seven guys needed to complete nine innings just because maybe one guy gets hurt or the pitch counts are high. Maybe the the pitcher's at 120 pitches through, through seven innings and you just can't send them out anymore with good conscience. Tib Linscomb's had those issues where. His no hitters, I think, had like 120 pitches and 115. We didn't really see that very often. Max Scherzer had a great game today. He was pulled after 109. Even that was pushing it. But if you look at it, past few years, last year's COVID shortened year, so it was only 60 games, so you have to scale that down, of course. There were only two no hitters, which is the same as 2019. Now, there were two combined no hitters in 2019, but even then, this year's performances have usurped that already. And we're, what, 35 games in for most of these teams? 2018, he only had two solo ones and one combined no-hitter. And then 2016-17, each only had one no-hitter. It's almost like we're seeing a bit of 2015, a bit of an anomaly. Or an outlier, should I say. Outlier is probably much more easy for me to say. They had seven no-hitters in the entire 162-game season. But for the most part, you know, there are people complaining and I I guess myself to some degree that no hitters are, I guess, less special. Don't get me wrong. I will always celebrate one. But two in the last three days, five already, I'm counting Madison Bumgarner. Again, I'm going to count that. It's not his fault. He didn't make the rules. Manfred did, which is why everybody hates him. We're at the point where... It's not a, an if, we'll get another one. There's not going to be, is will there be another no-hitter? It's more of a when will it be and who will it be? Now, you could put this on the dead in baseballs. I, I know Manford kind of made waves with saying that they were going to dead in the baseballs because there were too many home runs, which was supposed to bring fans in. But... That was just too much for, like, maybe maybe uh, Justin Berlander got a bit too angry, but he's not pitching for, I guess, the entire season or most of the season, that is. But maybe you got the purists, like I mentioned earlier, that are yelling that the only outcomes are strong, uh, strikeout, walk homer. And we saw that a lot today. Yankees have two hits as I'm recording this, and I think they have two or three walks in the entire game. And one of those hits was a home run. So maybe they're correct. They've struck out a lot. Max Scherzer just broke a record for the most strikeouts as a, uh, by a visiting pitcher at Yankee Stadium. I think it was up to 15. And I don't have an update on the game. As a matter of fact, I do. They uh, took out Scherzer. They brought in Brad Hand. Brad Hand has just blown the save, and the Yankees are threatening to win in walk-off fashion. So that hurts my fantasy points, but it helps the Yankees. So I guess I'm okay with it. But even then it looked like Max Scherzer was just unhittable today. But we see this every year. If you look at the new hitters, a lot of them occur in April, May, maybe even into June. Because as always, when with baseball, the offense takes a while to catch up to the defense. And that's not a you know, that's not me complaining, because this is what we've seen. Seeing live pitching again, and these guys are getting in their grooves. You're going to see a lot of different pitchers. Yeah, The pitchers will see, they know the batters, right? And it's on them to locate and, and find the pitch that's going to get the guy out. But batting is hard when you're playing baseball. You've got less than half a second or half or 500 milliseconds, I think it is, for a 90-mile-per-hour fastball to go from the pitcher's arm to home plate. That's 90 miles per hour. These guys are throwing 95 and, oh, and up. Do I think that maybe we'll see these no hitters taper off? I would assume so. I I would be shocked if they didn't. If if we can if we showed up at the end of the season with how does this work out? 20 to 30 no hitters, you think everybody else would 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 celebrate every single one? I don't think so. I doubt it. But it's because the the offenses just haven't ca- caught up yet. And again, not a problem because Every year, it's a thing. This is a process that they're going through. It's like in the NBA when you know these preseason games and the Stars aren't playing. Sometimes they struggle with their shot early on. Or in the NFL, it's why they have the preseason. Because four games, that's really the max they can have. It's going down to three this year because the 17-game season. But no hitters are just becoming a regular occurrence as of right now. And I can't say I'm super happy with it. Yeah, it's great. I'm sure the Yankees won't get one because that's not how how it works. I'm sure the Oakland A's will be the next team to get no hit because they, they haven't been the victim of a no-hitter in almost 30 years. And the Indians are, I think, like seven or so days away from it being 40 years without them throwing a no-hitter. I'm sure there's a big chance that some of these streaks get broken. Just from what we're seeing right now, but who do we blame it on? We can't blame it on the dead and balls. That seems a bit bit odd. Seems like we're just looking for an excuse, looking for a way out, like that Jack Harlow song. We can't look for a way out here. It, it's gonna. It, this is what we have seen for years and years and years and decades and decades and decades. We've seen this. That's why some of these guys, like Lindor, he's batting one fifty. Which is why the story of Lindor, the, the big news for Lindor is, oh, yeah, he had an argument with Jeff McNeil in a hallway by City Field. And they weren't sure if it was a rat or a raccoon that they saw. Why is that news? Do we really care if it was a rat or a raccoon in, this, in one of the five boroughs of New York City? I think we can make a fair assessment as to what it was. Maybe he should worry about you know, getting the bat at average about the Mendoza line. Just a little bit. He could hit 201, and it'd be like, you know what? Fine. Now we can talk Lindor. Because I, I don't know how much this story about the rat or raccoon will make them. I don't know how much it's worth. But it's not worth $341 million, which is what Lindor is getting paid to bat 150. I don't know. Let me know your thoughts. Just reach out to me personally, or or just leave a overview and say you're a Debbie Downer for hating no hitters. But that's that's my no hitter baseball talk for now. Moving forward, I, I tease slightly that there was a team who I think is probably the only person that thinks that is flying under the radar due to their recent struggles with you know coaching, uh, on field play, and really just winning in general. And just being organized and all this stuff. But I think this team had, in my opinion, one of the better drafts in the league. And I think they're looking to hopefully, potentially, actually execute a rebuild. Now, there may still be a bit of confusion as to who I'm talking about. I'm sure a few teams fit that mold. But allow me to introduce the rebuilding since 1957 Detroit Lions. Longest drought to win an NFL championship, Super Bowl, whatever you want to call it. And I think that they've been putting something in place very quietly over the past few months because it is the Detroit Lions. And we don't hear about this very often, especially in the national news. They've been putting something together that I think could see them compete this upcoming year. Let's start with what's going on off the field. Going out with the old, in with the new. Matt Patricia, former head coach, fired. He made a lot of – he made a big stink about how you know, he was getting crap from the Detroit reporters about how they couldn't hold on to a lead and if he should give over the play calling duties to someone else in the fourth quarter. And his response was something along the lines of, well, I made a, a good play call in the fourth quarter once in a pretty important game. He's obviously referring to the Malcolm Butler interception. So I think you should be able to trust me in the fourth quarter. And I think ten or so games in, he's fired. I think after the, after the uh, Thanksgiving game, he was out. And turns out that just making one good call in perhaps the most important game of your life in the fourth quarter doesn't equate to a lifelong pattern of success because he was a, he failed in Detroit big time, big time, and a lot of people hated him in Detroit and outside because he was really just like a. He's kind of a snob about it. He thought he was better than everybody, and he – seeing him get fired – again, I don't want to root against people, but seeing him get fired was kind of justice to me and to people in Detroit, I'm sure. Shadow manager Bob Quinn, too, Uh, the, the, the failure, constant failure of building a team and being able to win, finally called up to him, so he's out, too. So they bring in this guy, or should I say this dude, who really loves football, and Dan Campbell who I think delivered the most electric introductory press conference I've ever seen. Maybe behind Mike Tomlin, where he was talking about biting off kneecaps and taking chunks out of people. He's talking about cannibalizing his opponents, eating other people. Now, maybe they don't chew it and swallow. Maybe they just spit it out. But you want to talk about setting a tone? I've talked about setting a tone a lot. I like to think that I'm some major tone setter here. A tone setting – when you set the tone, it's like you're letting people know this is how it's going to be. This is how it's going to happen. Like a physical tone set is a foul in a, in a sporting event. But Dan Campbell was for real when he's talking about beefing up these guys that are going to – they're going to set the tone. And you know where you set the tone in? The trenches. Offensive line, defensive line. First three picks in the NFL draft. Offensive line, Panay Sewell, and two defensive linemen. Is it really a surprise – that's someone who wants to bite off kneecaps is taking these guys. We're beefing up the Buffet Boys here. Throwback to a little Kirk Herbstreet. NCAA Football 14. Maybe it was Reese Davis. One of the two. You, you get the point. They got the best tackle in the draft. Penesol. Gift wrapped to them. And don't give me the 33-inch the arm excuse as to why you can't play tackle in the NFL. If that even matters. I'm pretty sure Tyrannosaurus Rexes or Rex... Rex I, I don't know what the plural for that is. I'm, I'm pretty sure they had really short arms. They still made it work in the period, cre- Cretaceous period, Cretaceous period, whatever, whatever, the era, whatever it's called. And you can't convince me that if they had longer arms, they could have swatted back the Meteor, like they were playing volleyball and they were going for a kill. I think they've built it pretty well in the draft. And they ju- sticking with the offensive line, they just extended center Frank Ragnow, for four years, fifty-four million dollars, forty-two million of those guaranteed. Now this just, this comes just days after they picked up Ragnar's 50 year option, so he's under contract till twenty twenty-six. And if you're questioning, of course, if Ragnar is a Dan Campbell type of player, well, allow me to let you just answer that question for you now. You know the name may be a bit familiar. I know offensive linemen don't get a lot of you know hype or buzz in the press This is a guy who finished a game where he suffered an injury where they called it a fractured throat. You know, the thing that requires you to breathe, eat, drink, basically survive, play the majority of a football game with that being fractured. I didn't even know you could fracture a throat. I dropped anatomy class in two weeks in my senior year of high school. I just graduated college, so I definitely don't know that. I'm not a doctor. Does that work that way? Does that even work? Does that make sense? Can you fracture a throat? Apparently, you can. And apparently, you're not supposed to play football with it. Frank Ragnow said, ah, screw it. Send me out there. And this is for a bad Lions team, too. The Lions aren't, you know, the best thing since sliced But They're not a good team. And Ragnow says, send me out there. I'll play. That's fine. And there's a real reason why I'm focusing on this Detroit Lions team and mainly the offensive line because I think it's going to be a big reason for their success this year. Obviously, we are aware of the Matthew Stafford, Jared Goff trade, and the Lions got a couple first-round picks to take Goff's contract, which is how bad it was. But Jared Goff is not going to be – this is not going to be a Matthew Stafford-style offense. Right, Matthew Stafford, first-round pick, I believe out of Georgia – had a great arm talent, it, it, it threw the ball 60 times in games. We're not gonna, we're not gonna see that. The plan is not for Jared Goff to carry this offense and throw the ball 50 times in 17 straight games. We're not, we are. That is not the plan. What they're gonna try and do is what McVay attempted to start in Los Angeles, and that's run the football. Now, eventually, that didn't work, even though uh, they just didn't really have a good running back to do it. Because Todd Gurley had the knee issue, which kind of spelled the end of his time in Los Angeles and then Jared Goff's because they didn't have a consistent run game. But we saw some flashes of potential from DeAndre Swift. You know, he's going to be the second-year man out of Georgia this year. And if you're questioning potentially his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield, they signed Jamal Williams. They they plucked him right from Green Bay. Direct rivals, division rivals. He can handle the passing downs. Pass protection, catch the ball, run screens. It seems to me like the plan for Dan Campbell and the Detroit Lions is to establish the run. Establish the run, like we're back in the 1970s. And I'm not saying like we're back in the 1970s, like it's a bad thing either. But this just fits Dan Campbell. And fits a man who wants to eat other players, maybe not legitimately, but you get what I'm saying. I'm excited to see what this Lions team can offer. And I'm not going to go on a limb of them of saying they're going to make the playoffs yet. We need to see how the roster shakes out. We need to see if they can get through training camp and preseason healthy with no major issues. And obviously, with the extra game, I'm sure that it's going to be a war of attrition. But if they're going to run the football and they're going to pound these these other teams right in the mouth, and they have Dan Campbell as the guy who's going to will them to do it, I'm sure I would run through a brick wall for Dan Campbell if I was with him for 20 minutes, listening to him talk about life or, or, or getting a job or any sort of success. I, it might be two or three brick walls I could run through. So if everything works out in their favor in terms of injuries, I'm not saying like officiating calls because officials, we don't need to get into that. Just stay tuned. Stay tuned for this Lions team because I like them a lot, and I have have no shame in saying it. Before I completely talk NBA, which is going to wrap the show up, uh, I want to discuss this debate topic I heard as a bit of a segue and this was on, I believe, Get Up this morning. And the question—this was not the question—but the question that was sparked, saying, "In what profession, or I guess, league, in this case, is it more difficult to win a championship—the NBA or the NFL?" Is this really a discussion? Like, do I have to take time out of my not so busy day to answer this? Why? Why is that a thing? Well. It's because Kendrick Perkins, who thinks he's the best basketball analyst on the planet because he averaged uh, 5.4 points, 5.8 rebounds, and 1.2 blocks in his eighth-season NBA career, feels the need to stick up for basketball whenever it is and be the martyr for any discussion that in any way pertains to basketball. The question this morning on GetUp on ESPN I, – I don't watch it frequently, but it finds Twitter because – It's a notable thing to say. The question to answer was, who will finish with more titles, Tom Brady, who has seven, or LeBron James, who has four? I think the answer is easy to that. It it should have been nice and easy. Let's take two minutes for each of us. It was Ryan Clark joining him, a a Super Bowl-winning champion. And just say, yeah, it's going to be Tom Brady because he has three more and LeBron James may not have three years left. And if he does have three years left, we're not quite sure at what level that will be. Because we're seeing some kryptonite here from LeBron James and it's called a high ankle sprain. He's going to be 37 next year. But Kendrick Perkins decided he's going to answer a completely different question and he's going to answer it incorrectly. By, by providing the wrong answer and the hot take that everybody knows and loves and that drives in ratings, I don't think Kendrick Perkins minds that he's hearing his name come up. Well, I'm pretty sure that's why ESPN just extended him. Congrats to, to Perk, by the way. I'm not going to root against someone getting their money, even though I don't have that many. But his main argument was a quantity argument, in that it takes three wins, and that's if you get a buy to win a Super Bowl in the NFL, as to, as opposed to 16 games to lift the Larry O'Brien, O'Brien trophy. Is it just a numbers game to him? It, it, we're, we're doing quantity? Because if that's the case, you know, the curtain swings both ways here, Kendrick. Because shouldn't that show you that there's a much larger room for error in the NBA playoffs? Now, I will just preface this statement by saying that I was a math major for one semester in college. So this should be somewhat accurate. The worst a team can go in the NBA playoffs and still win the finals is 16-12. and That is four series going seven games each, winning four, and losing three of them. That's a winning percentage of roughly 57% if the math checks out. And you can correct me if I am wrong. I probably am. So 57%. that that's the, that's the bar to reach or exceed for the NFL, right? So what's the worst a team can go in the NFL playoffs and still win the Super Bowl? So we're going to assume they get a bye, right? So they have to play three games and win all three of them. So that's 3-0. and That's a perfect record. Again, small sample size. But no losses, no blemishes, no room for error. That's why there's so much parity in the NFL, right? Every year, the fan bases say, this is our year. This is the year that we get over the hump and we make it to or win the Super Bowl. Tom Brady left New England and went to Tampa Bay. And they won the Super Bowl in one year. You mean to tell me that they would have been a Super Bowl contender if James Winston had stayed there? Absolutely not. Because they also weren't going to get the guys that were flocking to f- follow Tom Brady there. Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown, and Dominic and Sue on one-year deals that were cheap. But there's always, when it gets to the NFL, and we're probably going to go into this season thinking the same way. I'll come up with a few just now, just off the top of my head. Looking at the standings going into next year as the teams that I think could potentially contend for the Super Bowl. They don't have to win it. They just have to make some noise come playoff time. I'm going to count these on my hand. Buffalo, Baltimore, Cleveland, Kansas City. I would say Green Bay, should they have Aaron Rodgers. The Buccaneers again. The Seahawks, the Rams. Potentially the Niners as well, if I want to get really frisky. That's nine right there. That's nine teams, and I'm probably forgetting one. I could say the Saints. I'm sure that one of those quarterbacks will emerge and make them good. I don't know how well. Maybe the Chargers, too, if they really take a step forward, if Derwin James can stay on the field, because, boy, is that a difference for them. But I think you can argue for double-digit teams being able to contend for a Super Bowl. Now, on the flip side, let's look at the NBA. Now the NBA everybody assumes that it's the Nets title to lose. So if you really just want to say it's one team, which I disagree with. Go for it. But who do I think can really make the finals or win the finals in this case cuz you know, the sample size is larger. Let's let's not get it twisted. Let's say the Nets cuz if they get James Harden back, I'm sure they can do something there. I will go with the Bucks cuz I have the Bucks in the finals. And I'll go with the Sixers just because I'll get that big three in the East out of the way. Why not? Let's go to the West. Well, I've uh, you uh, you must know how high I am on Phoenix. So that's that's four. And I, I talked to the Clippers a lot last uh, yesterday. So that's five. And what do you want to do? You want to take one of either Utah or Los Angeles to get to six? It's still fewer teams that are. In the running. And even that might be a stretch. I don't think that saying all three teams in the East can win the title is justified or correct. I don't think it is at all. I don't think we'll see that. I think the second round matchup, whoever it may be, it looks like it's going to be Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Maybe I'm proven wrong. Maybe the Nets just boat race them in five. Maybe that happens. Maybe they beat, maybe they sweep Philly. I don't think this happens. It's, this is just, again, hypothetical. But you look at the West. We like to talk about how wide open the West is. Maybe the Mavs can get a good draw, go to the Western Conference Finals. I'd love that as a fan. Also love if they hit over 42.5 wins. I think that's what my ticket says. But the parity is just not there in the NBA. And also, numbers game. Let's keep the numbers involved. The numbers are important to Kendrick Perkins. So they have to fit in this scenario. Thirty two teams are in the NFL. You know, they recently added that seventh slot, another wild card team. Right. That's fourteen out of thirty two teams making the NFL playoffs. Before that it was just twelve. Less than half, almost a third. About forty to forty five percent of the teams in the NFL make it to the playoffs. On a typical in a typical season for the NBA, eighty two games, eight teams from each conference make the playoffs. Thirty teams in the in the NBA. 16 out of 30 make it. That's over half. So it's easier to make the playoffs. And it's geared towards these teams that are higher seeds. Because over a longer period of time, you're going to see which team is better. How many eight seeds do we see that make it to the finals? I don't want to talk about the lockout year with the Knicks when they were the eight seeds. They played 50 games. and got destroyed by the Spurs. I think it was the Spurs or the some Southwest Division team in the NBA just demolished them. I believe it was the Spurs. You can you can quote me on that, and I'll probably be wrong, but it's fine. You can, this is this is my point. The we believe Warriors. They didn't make the finals. They were plus twelve hundred to win the series, so it was exciting to see it happen. Not as a Mavs fan, but I didn't quite understand how basketball worked at at that age. I'm sure. Maybe it was like five or six years old. I said, oh, it's a shame. The Mavs lost. We'll get them next year. Maybe once you get to the finals, it'll be difficult. But again, you can lose three games in a series and still win the series and move on. You can't lose one time, once, one singular game in the NFL play- NFL playoffs or you're out. You can panic a little bit in the NBA. You lose the first two games of the series. It's not over. One incident that comes up to mind, and and I hate bringing it up as a Mavericks fan, although it's going to nail my point home, I would think pretty well, 2006 NBA Finals. It featured my Dallas Mavericks and the Miami Heat. Now, the Mavs won the first two games of the series in Miami, they came back to Dallas, and they had a parade route already planned. It's also a lesson to just not think too far ahead, I would say. But they had the parade route planned. And they lost to Miami in six games. Nearly a reverse sweep. If they had gone up 3-0 and then lost, reverse sweep would have been historic. But they lost to Miami in six games. Thanks to Dwayne Wade and you know maybe some questionable officiating, I would say. Maybe that's just my bias picking up. But if this series was a one-game, sudden-death matchup to settle who lifted the trophy at the end of the season, the Mavs have two titles instead of one. And I'm sure Dirk Nowitzki then could be potentially heralded outside of Dallas and Mavericks fan circles as a top 10 player of all time, being that he's currently, I think, six on the all-time scores list and has won an MVP and a Finals MVP and a Finals. Imagine if he had gotten to two. He probably would have doubled... The finals MVP tally, I would say. I don't know who else would have gotten it. Devin Harris, Josh Howard, maybe Michael Finley. That could have been legacy defining. Doesn't take away from the point, though. It it is difficult to win a Super Bowl because you have one chance to advance. Otherwise, you're done. One chance, that's it. So, Kendrick Perkins, I will again congratulate you for getting your extension with ESPN. But if you are in Kendrick Perkins or you're Kendrick Perkins yourself and you can stand by this take reasonably, you need to take a hard look at yourselves in the mirror. You need to realize that you're incorrect. This was a, this was a bad take. Especially as someone who never carried a team. So maybe that's why it was hard for you to win a title. Cuz you were always the fourth or fifth option. And I'm sure, you know, having LeBron go against better teams made it look challenging. But once he had a couple of players around him that were competent basketball players, no disrespect to Zydrunas Vygalskis and Aris and Verigel, two great big men. Veragel back in the league somehow. What is this, 2008? You need to realize that saying that it's harder to win a title in the NBA rather than win a Super Bowl in the NFL is incorrect. And you need to carry the hell on, to quote Kendrick Perkins. Speaking of carrying on, we'll we'll carry all the way on into the NBA. Where, you know, you can't go too far or too long without a very controversial sports take. And it's gotta be talked about this one. Trust me, this this has to be discussed. Cause I wasn't planning on talking about it, although I did tease that I would talk about the uh my losing Denver Nuggets bet last night had a plus four and a half in Utah, but it's it covers Nikola Jokic, right? Because obviously I, I talked about. Well, did I? I didn't discuss MVP yet, but Nick Wright, who's a member of Fox Sports, is first things first. Gets to start right in the right, or bright and early in the morning, and and ready to go take on the day. Had another one of his wild. Asinine takes when talking about the MVP conversation, saying that, quote-unquote, historically speaking, unquote, because I'm paraphrasing a bit here, Nikola, Nikola Jokic would be the worst MVP in the last 35 years. Now, he's saying historically, which much mean that he's talking about as an all-time player. But I beg your pardon? What kind of tomfoolery is this? I don't know if he understands what he's claiming. 26.4 points. 10.9 rebounds. 8.5 assists. He's averaging almost two steals a game, too. Those are all game-by-game stats for the entire season. He would be the worst MVP in the last 35 years. Maybe I'm misinterpreting his words. But I think regardless, this is an illogical take. And his PER, player efficiency rating, which Nick Wright loves, is over 31. I think that's would be seventh all time for an MVP. That's pretty good, I would say, right? If he wanted to use logic, because Nick Wright clearly didn't. If he wanted to use some logic here, what Nick Wright is basically saying, again, I could be misconstruing his words. And if so, that's a shame. Saying that he would have the 35th best season in NBA history in the last 35 years, is that really much of an insult? And if you're saying that he won't be a better player, right, just historically, Derek Rose, I I understand it was pre-ACL issue, but he's got a better resume than Derek Rose. And and what makes you think that, obviously, Russell Westbrook is going to break a record again. He's going to... Average triple-double this year. What makes you think that, you know, in 10 years' time, Jokic doesn't have a better resume than Russell Westbrook or James Harden, who hasn't won a title yet, although he's favorite this year, or Giannis Antetokounmpo? That's the thing. And even if he's right. Maybe he doesn't match up with LeBron James or or Tim Duncan, the best power forward of all time. Sorry, Dirk, I love you. Or Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Carl Malone, etc., 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 Magic Johnson, and Larry Bird. That's not the point. That's not what the award is called. It's not called most historical player. It's called the most valuable player. Not for the player that's been really good. And will probably make the Hall of Fame after his career is over. And Jokic might do that. That's his argument for Chris Paul. And it's egregious at best. If he can sit there in his lovely little house in Harlem and say that Chris Paul should be the MVP just because he is a historically better player... And don't get me wrong. CP3, the vintage point god. I've talked about it already. I I will continue to talk about him as he is a member of the Suns. CP3 can't hold a candle to Nikola Jokic this year. He's averaging, I think, 10 fewer points. He's averaging 16 points a game. He's averaging five rebounds, which is seven seven fewer or six fewer than Nikola Jokic. And he's averaging half an assist more as a point guard. He's a point guard averaging half an assist more than some immobile power forward or center, whatever you want to call the big honey Nikola Jokic, whatever position you want to give it to him. It's up to you. And if you really want to analyze what the most valuable player race should be about, it should be based on the players who add value to their team. Not the best, which is what we always do, and I hate it. But if you wanted me to give you a top three right now as to what who would be my top three in the most valuable player race, it goes Nikola Jokic, Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, in that order. These guys add value to their team. I, I know watching Dallas play, and we've seen it with, with Jamal Murray getting hurt and they're still chugging along with Nikola Jokic right and Steph Curry when he missed a couple years the, the wizards i i think they won like four games combined bit of an exaggeration i know but these guys are adding at like they're adding double digit wins to their teams if, if they weren't there maybe 20 or more that's what this is about these guys are valuable to their teams and they're also really damn good at basketball doesn't matter if you like the sport. These guys are athletes, and they are important to the success of their teams. I've watched the Dallas Mavericks play without Luka Doncic, and it's been abhorrent to witness. I I would have to turn games off because I just can't watch it. They don't have someone who can do what he does, what Luka does, and the Warriors don't have someone that can do what Steph Curry does. No one in the league has that. Maybe Damian Lillard in some instances. But you think, and this is, let's just make this clear. Jamal Murray, I'm not slating Jamal Murray, but you think without Nikola Jokic in the lineup for the entire season, and even if you give Jamal Murray a full season of health, right? You think they're in this position right now? A four seed? A game back of the three? They'll probably wind up in the four which would make for a very tantalizing matchup with the Mavs. You think they're in that position without Nikola Jokic? No shot. No shot at all. I won't hear that. Oh, listen. I would just disagree. I will listen to your take. I will understand what, where you're coming from, potentially. But no one has done this year what Nikola Jokic has done this year. They haven't. We always give too many people a platform to spew nonsense. And although he doesn't say it's for ratings because talking about Nikola Jokic and the Dever Nuggets doesn't bring in the vast audience, folks. It's for ratings because I don't think – I've listened to Nick Nick Wright on the radio before. Well, actually, now that I think about it, he does have very terrible takes. He said that LeBron James winning two tough finals would be equivalent to two rings. So therefore, he's tied with Michael Jordan. Okay, so now that I think about this, maybe Nick Wright just has terrible sports takes and he gets paid to do it, which is a nice hustle, I would say. Because everybody knows it, and he might know it too. But I don't think he cares because the almighty bottom dollar is what we want. And if he's getting it, and I'm sure – his name coming up in the news, similar to Kendrick Perkins. I mean, Kendrick Perkins really feels strongly about the NBA being difficult to win a title in, more difficult than the NFL. Maybe that's what they're going for, but I, I hey, hats off to them if that's the case. One final thing in the NBA before we, we get out of here for the day. You know, I did say that I was going to bet. On, oh, speaking of betting. Yeah, so I had I had the Nuggets plus four and a half, and we were looking great the entire time. I got a couple of my friends in on it. We are looking fine. Fantastic. Right, they were up by four at halftime, up by one at the end of the third. We said, all right, you just got to cover five and a half. That's how we do it. You got to adjust it. I don't know if I've seen Nikola Jokic turn the ball over in a late-game scenario, just passing it to nobody twice in a row. Two possessions in a row. Just to see me lose money. I also didn't expect Bojan Bogdanovich to score 48 points. Update on the Yankees game. Top 11. Tied at three. 48 points. 16-23 shooting. 8-11 of 11 from three. That's who roasted me. That's who destroyed and single-handedly killed my bet. Could say Jordan Clarkson, but he shot terribly from the field. I was talked off of Thankfully, and we also thought, thought about going the other side. I said I would put all the money that I felt was responsible on the Blazers. And then we saw what the line was at eight and figured that was too much because, you know, we felt the Lakers could probably keep it close. But the Lakers dropped another game last night. That makes two in a row and five of the last six. And if you want to really go back, that is... One, two, three, four, five, six, eight of the last 10. And in the top video I'm seeing here on the Lakers page is that Kendra Perkins is saying that players like Andre Drummond or Kyle Kuzma need to step up. Well, I talked about Andre Drummond. He's not the guy that you're going to want to step up because that's not who you want, being the leader. You saw him in Denver, or Denver. You saw him in Detroit. And where's Detroit right now? 20 and 47 think they are second from bottom or the bottom seed in the East. They are not good at basketball. Maybe they got a little worse because they didn't have Andre Drummond there, but if you're relying on them to step up and Kyle Kuzma couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat yesterday with two of 11 from the field, oh of six from three. If those are the guys you're looking for and LeBron James really isn't healthy, I said it so many times and I'm going to continue to say it the Lakers are in trouble. And they're going to continue to be in trouble until LeBron James gets back healthy. He might not get back healthy. He might not be healthy ever again. That's what he, I'm using his words. I'm using, I, I am fra- paraphrasing LeBron James. Uh, we never thought a high ankle sprain would could potentially be his demise. But Andy Davis gave it all he had last night, 39 minutes after his quote unquote back spasms or ankle I guess it was just back spasms 39 minutes 36 points 12 rebounds shot 12 of 23 from the field free throws weren't great 10 of 15 but you can really only ask so much and they only played 9 guys yesterday they had Ben Mackmore come in off the bench he shot terribly 2 of 9 from the field 2 of 7 from 3 only 6 points And there really just wasn't an answer for Damian Lillard, who had 38 points, as one of us may have predicted. The only one in this room, that's obviously me. And he shot 12 of 18 and 5 of 9 from the field. Didn't miss a free throw. Free throws were legitimately the difference in this game. And I don't think it's getting any better when LeBron James comes back because he doesn't like free throws. I'll tell you that much. Right now, the Lakers are slated to play the Wizards, the Wizards, the Warriors in the first round of the playing game, playing tournament. If LeBron James isn't there, they're going to wind up as the one seed or the eight seed. And that's if they win. Because they're dropping games left and right to any sort of quality opponent. Yeah, they beat Denver a couple games ago. But that was on an off night. It was 93-89. They used their defense to win. They haven't been able to do that recently they don't keep teams under 100 points it doesn't look good supposedly one of my friends he had live bet the lakers plus five and a half he said he shouldn't have covered i went to bed i was i was tired i didn't need to watch it i knew the game was it was close but i never really was threatened by the lakers and their potential to win the game i I didn't think it would happen But what are they going to do? What is Frank Vogel thinking right now? He's got bleach blonde hair, Kyle Kuzma, and Andre Drummond as his two notable players. When really, Contavious Caldwell-Pope is probably one of their best scoring options right now. Hell, Alex Caruso had nearly 20 points last night. He shot 16 times. If If Alex Caruso is shooting 16 times and you expect to win... I've got news for you, and it's not good news. They're running out of time. Five games left, and maybe they can bank on you know the Blazers and their tough schedule coming up. Going over it a bit, I'll, I'll continue. I'll touch on it again very quickly. San Antonio, Houston, at Utah, at Phoenix, home for Denver. That last three is a gauntlet. Those those are three of the top four seeds in the West. And when it comes to Sunday, May 16th, when they go to that Denver game, I'm going to be watching that with a real close eye on it for my own rooting interests. That being Dallas, of course. That might be their only chance. And even then, I don't quite know how many games the Lakers play here. I don't. Because they have Phoenix tomorrow, Sunday, May 9th, Mother's Day. And then they have the Knicks. They could lose both of those games. Now, they might win out against Houston, and they go to Indiana to play the Pacers, and to New Orleans to face a Zionless Pelicans team. They might finish out 3-2. and two. I don't think that's good enough, because I don't think Portland drops three games. That's another thing that happened yesterday, is that Los Angeles has now lost a tiebreaker. Portland has a tiebreaker over the Lakers. So if they tie on record, sorry, go to the playing game. Have fun, LeBron. Can't get anybody fired. It's not how it works, unfortunately. Won't happen. I'm sure it'll be good theater, though, watching the Lakers and the Warriors. And one of the teams is going to be on the brink the next game. And the Grizzlies are no slouch either. Grizzlies might make the playoffs, too. One of these three teams, at this point, Lakers, Warriors, Grizzlies, are going to lose, and those are three quality teams. They're going. One of them is not going to make the playoffs. I think the Lakers are like minus ten thousand or minus eight thousand to make the playoffs before the start of the season. The play-in doesn't count. So if they if they wind up in the seventh seed, they lose two straight games. They're out. Sorry, guys, who held those those tickets. I don't know why you would, but. Your money just got lit on fire by a high ankle sprain. Shouts out to Solomon Hill for that one. Five games left. I got to figure it out. I sound like I'm a fan of the Lakers too with this. I'm not. I, I really aren't. I'm not. It would be funny if they missed the playoffs. I think it'd be hilarious. But LeBron James not being in the playoffs... Doesn't really hit the same. I feel like he should have one last hurrah, especially since you know they were in such a good position before he got hurt. I don't think this is the end of LeBron, but it could be. It could be. I've had other people tell me otherwise. They think that he's done. He's washed. I I, I don't. I'm not going as far as to say that. I think that's a, a very dangerous proposition to have. Because they said this with Tom Brady who was a big topic or started the big topic because he wasn't talked about really that often for the show today. But every couple games, at the start of every year, Patriots start out 2-2. Two and two. Oh, he's done. And they'll rip off 10 straight and win the Super Bowl that year. We should learn, we've learned our lesson from telling, saying that these all-time greats are washed. We don't need to see LeBron like a, a Wizards Jordan. We don't need that. So maybe this is it for him. Although he's got another year after this on a contract. I got to figure it out. All right. That's going to do it for me. It's a good show today. I, I just... I, I cannot spend the next few hours complaining about what other people say and how terrible it is. Because I'll just have my blood boil and it's already pretty hot in my room right now. It looks like a bomb went off. I have to clean it. There's a lot of stuff to get done. But... I want to thank you for listening, first of all. Uh, Odds are I will not have an episode tomorrow due to it being Mother's Day, which reminds me to tell your mothers, sisters, grandmothers, any important woman in your life that you appreciate them tomorrow. You know, just it goes a long way, trust me, but we'll be back at it for sure on Monday. As always, I've been Spencer Catalano. This has been the cats out of the bag. Enjoy the rest of your day and we'll see you next time.